0: Thank you, worship team. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to uh, dive into these wonderful words that you preserve for us and all the truth that is found in them. Truth that assures us. Truth that challenges us. uh, Truth that we can hold on to and because of your grace, We can draw near to you. And through your grace, we can grow into a more beautiful and pure reflection of you. And so thank you for your word that comforts, that assures, that challenges, that convicts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do uh, all that you want to do in us today. Use your words to pierce our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. You can have a seat, or you can keep standing. That's fine. Totally up to you. Um, So, I've been doing youth ministry for a few years now. And uh, our students that have either the pleasure or the regret of being up in youth ministry for close to the last five years know that one of the things that we do during the summer is we have a series entitled the Question Series. Uh, which is not a series where I ask them questions. That series would end about five minutes into the, the first day. Uh, it is actually a series where they are allowed to ask questions, whatever questions that they have, uh, whether it pertains to life and godliness, whether it pertains to something that they don't understand in Scripture, whether it pertains to something they don't really understand in the world around them and they want a uh, biblical understanding of. So they submit these questions and we go through them and we base a series entirely around them. And uh, I've done this probably about five times uh, and every single time there is one question that rises to the top again and again and again, Um, year after year. And that question is, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? So here we have a youth group full of kids who have grown up uh, in Sunday school, in Iwana, coming to a, a Bible-believing church, and now uh, years into youth group, and yet still they're anonymously signing a card. How do I know for sure that I'm saved? And the question is always, prefaced a little different, uh, depending on the student it could be. Uh, I still struggle with blank and I can't seem to kick it. So how can I know for sure that I'm saved? Or, uh, man, I came to faith when I was really young and and now here I am as, as a teenager and it's like, how, how, can I, how can I know for sure that that I'm saved? Or... I really struggle to desire God, to, to want to be in His Word and pray. Like there's a part of me that wants to, but there's also a really large part of me that just wants to like veg out and watch SportsCenter. How how can I know for sure that I'm saved? And so year after year this question uh comes in and year after year we, we wrestle through it. Um, and the, the text that we're going to go to today has such a beautiful truth that responds to it so directly. And it would make sense why we have that question when you look at the faith that we have been given. My guess is in a room of this size, uh, there are some of you out there who have asked that question before. Ra- raise, that, raise your hand out there if you've wrestled with this question, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? if you've asked that before. My, my guess is that there are people in here who have asked that question this week even. Because the fact is that the faith that we have been given uh, is, is, is one that wasn't created from man for man. And so it makes sense when we look at the other religious systems out there, ones that give you assurance based on simply holding to these five pillars or these several sacraments, Or we don't even have to name them, just just do more good than bad and then whatever form salvation comes in, in the end, you can acquire it, you can guarantee it, you can be assured of it. And yet the faith that has been handed to us from a perfect, infinite, sovereign God who we just sang about, it's a little different because it's not rooted in who we are or what we have done. But instead, it is God graciously giving us a free gift that we reach out for in faith, that He quickens our hearts to even have faith in the total completed work of Jesus Christ, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. Our salvation is rooted in Him, and we take it by faith. And when we do, we are united to Him in such a beautiful way that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, where His life, death, and resurrection becomes our perfect life, becomes our sacrificial death, becomes our guarantee of life everlasting. That's what we're given in Him. And while this is the very gospel that we profess and are called to declare, a confession of faith can feel far less con- concrete than a checklist that we need to hold to. And so how do we know our confession of faith is genuine? How do we know that we're saved? And then in the midst of this wrestling that we do, not just once, but but over the course of our growth in Christ, some of you who have wrestled with this question, it wasn't just a one-time thing, and then some youth pastor got up and responded to it in Sunday school, and you're like, oh, great, I got it from here. No, probably the next day. You saw your flesh flare up, or you, you heard the lie of your enemy being breathed over you, or you just looked at the world around you and said, man, I look a lot more like that than I look like him. And you thought to yourself, here I am again in the throes of this question. How do I know that I'm saved? I'm gonna just, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn to the word for comfort. I'm gonna turn to, oh, my Bible just opened to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Help me. Let's see, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, oh, i need that, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I said, Lord, Lord, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, I don't always do his will. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I don't even do that. And cast out demons in your name? Never done that before. And do many mighty works in your name? I don't think anybody's considering any teaching that I do a mighty work. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I know that we've heard that text before and I know that many of you have read it with the fear and trembling that it's, it's made to induce. And so is this just it? Have we been handed a shaky faith with no floor, no foundation, nothing to stand on? Are we to be like the rest of the world who've concocted their own faith systems and just hope? that in the end it all pans out for us? That God somehow looks down at us, at our lack, and and says, eh, good enough. Is that what our hope is in? Is that our firm foundation? Is that Christ the solid rock that we stand on and declare? No. No, it's not. There are several ways in which uh, we can, through Scripture... Through knowing about who we were, who we've been made to be, who we now are, that we can tackle this question of how do we know for sure that we are saved? And one of the most beautiful and surefire ways are spelled out for us so clearly in first, uh, second Peter chapter one that we're going to look at today. And so turn with me in your Bibles if you are not there already. Second Peter chapter one. And today we're going to cover verse five. Through 11, and hopefully by the end, what we find is that we stand. We stand on a faith that we can hold with full assurance. We've been given something that is made to, to, to give us assurance, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, what he has done, and what he promises to continue to do in each and every one of us who run after him. And so starting in verse 5, We read this, for this very reason, stop, we can't go much further than that, right? We have to remember uh, the reasons that we are uh, about to be drawn into something, right? Because before we can venture into whatever this text is calling us to, we must know the very reason we are being called to it. And so what were those? Well, that was the, the beautiful verses that our brother Rob uh, walked us through last week and uh, spelled out for us not just one reason, but many reasons, many reasons that call us to what our verse today uh, is going to call us to. So just let's go back quickly and review verses three through four, where Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, so in short, those are the reasons for whatever that awaits us, and those are those are a lot of reasons those are some. Wonderful, awesome, supernatural reasons. If you were not here last week, I do want to encourage you to go back and, uh, get the, get the fire hose that was all that Rob preached last week on these reasons and, and why they are so glorious. But quickly, let's just review the fact that as believers, by God's power, we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness which flows from our intimate knowledge of the One who called us to Himself. And we have been given precious and great promises for not only this life, but the life to come. Promises that when coupled with the divine power of the One who gave them, have the power to both transform us into a more pure reflection of our great God and Savior, and away from the image of the corruption and sin that He saved us from. And it's for these reasons that we respond in the way that the coming verses call us to. And So let's continue to read in verse 5. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Stop right there. I promise I won't do this all day. But let's just do it one more time. Verse 5 is so critical for our understanding of everything that is to come. And if we don't gather the thrust of what is coming at us in this verse, we are going to misread or misunderstand everything that comes later. So we already know the reasons of what we are called to do, right? We've already reviewed that. Now it says, for these reasons that we talked about, make every effort to supplement your faith. And so here we see our first point. While salvation is not earned by our own effort, we are now commanded to make every effort to pursue a flourishing faith. This term in the Greek that the ESV translates, make every effort, has a lot packed into it. Though, before I talk about it all, just understand that make every effort does in fact mean make every effort effort. There's no way around that. But there's some unpacking that I want to do of that term. It does not mean a part-time effort. It does not mean if I have some extra time before my day starts or ends effort. It does not mean a Sunday-only effort. It means make every effort. Stop at nothing to supplement your faith with what it needs to thrive. Added to this phrase is a Greek word, spoudain, which emphasizes the urgency of the command. So it's not just make every effort someday when you're older. Make every effort mm, when I get around to it. Make every effort on that one week of the year where the kids don't have any extracurriculars or, or any sports. It's not make every effort when the kids are graduated or or when school lets out or when I have more free time. No, this is a call to urgency. It means make an effort like the rip current is pulling me out to sea and help isn't coming effort. Consider yourself in that situation, right? You're just slowly moving back out. You're not not doing a, a casual little little front stroke at that point, right? As you're moving backwards, being pulled out to sea, being being slowly pulled under, right? How are we swimming, folks? Anybody want to do it right where you're sitting? Right? 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 Like baby shark fans in here, right? We know how we're doing it. We're paddling like our life depends on it. It is a, the person in front of us is coding. And they are seconds away from losing their life forever and now we need to make every effort shh, shh, clear poof, make every effort not a oh wow what is the monitor doing that na 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 nah. oh, man i got to get back to my netflix show what if i just unplug the monitor then it won't make that sound let's see right it is a make Every effort and do it like it matters right now, today. Do not let moments slip by before you make this effort to supplement your faith. Time is of the essence. Make every effort to supplement your faith. And so in light of the faith that we have been given as believers... And all the beauty that comes with, that we saw in verses three and four, we're called to make every effort with all speed and diligence to supplement our faith with what it needs to thrive. And again, what this isn't calling us to is something that sounds like, ah, fine. I got to supplement my faith. I got to. I got to make every effort to do that. Okay. Um. Well, I guess what I can do is. I don't know, I can read my Bible a little bit more. Or, um, let's see, i got to make every effort. I guess I can start praying before my meals, right? I haven't been doing that that much. I could probably, could probably fit that in there. You know, I've been wanting to purchase that journal. Or wait, I purchased five of them. Where are they? Maybe in like a year I can locate one of them and... And then I'll buy a pen in 2028. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, I'll get on that. Make every effort right now, like it matters, to supplement your faith. Even the word supplement that we see here, it is one that doesn't let us fall into a laxadaisical pursuit of this command. The word isn't like popping a one-a-day and hoping that you get healthy from it. It is not um, something that we do on the side and hope that it has maximum results. Instead, what this word denotes is to, to richly supply, to lavishly furnish. So if you consider your faith by itself an empty barren house, what that means is do not furnish it like it's a dorm room. But do everything that you can to richly, lavishly provide the home of your faith with what it needs to feel not like an empty house, but a home. Provide it with everything that it needs. So we're understanding that there is absolutely nothing in these verses that give us a half-hearted, lackadaisical, I'll do it when I can get around to it, understanding of what these verses are calling us to do. And so now the question is, what do we furnish this house of faith with? Now that we know what we're supposed to do, now we know the way in which we are supposed to do it, we know the reasons why we are called to it. Now, what does it look like? What do we call to supplement it with? And that's what we find in verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now these seven qualities do not comprise the whole of Christian character, uh, but they definitely represent a beautiful piece of it. Some believe these qualities, uh, the way in which they're written in the Greek, kind of make up like like a string of pearls that kind of bead into one another or are birthed out of one another. And love is kind of the the jewel in the center, the thing that brings it all together. Other people view these verses more like fruit in a garden, growing at, at different times and in different seasons in their own various ways. And yet, regardless of where you land, I won't fight you on it if you, if you land in a different place from one another. I think at the end of the day, how you view this, it calls you to the exact same thing, which is the pursuit of an expression through your life of something that reflects the character of Jesus Christ regardless of whether these are birthed out of one another or something that's popping up at different places on your journey as you walk with Him, the pursuit is the same. And that is to be a more pure reflection, growing in your reflection of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at these seven characteristics and what they actually mean. We see virtue. It's not a word that we use a lot today. Some of your translations might have um, excellence, or maybe moral excellence. Virtue means excellence in fulfilling one's intended purpose. Excellence in pursuing uh, in, in fulfilling one's intended purpose. And what is that purpose that we're seeing here? It's the Christian life. It's the reflection of Jesus. And so as we look at virtue, what we see is we are to be, we are to be growing in our excellence and pursuing the very nature of Jesus Christ, the very person of Jesus, His characteristics. And then we see knowledge. And this isn't head knowledge. This is that Gnosko knowledge that Rob talked about last week, which is growing in our intimate relational knowledge of God that isn't just cataloged in our heads, but is applied to our lives. This isn't empty knowledge. This isn't reading more commentaries or thick books. But this is an experiential relational knowledge that takes us into deeper waters in relationship with Jesus Christ in a way where it shows in who we are and how we live. Self-control, mastery over the, the sinful desires, appetites and passions of the flesh that we are called to kill versus indulge. It's looking less like the sin and corruption that we were called out of and putting to death those desires that we have that pull us back towards it and instead cutting that off doing everything that we can to separate ourselves from who we once were in light of who we are now called to be. Steadfastness. This is patient endurance, especially in the face of trials and tribulations. I love Strong's quote for this. It defines it as a characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate Purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. And I want that to be named of me. I want to be all about this. This hoopoe, hoopamone. I want that to be said of me. I want to be in the face of the worst trials, in the face of my hardest moments, to not shake my fist but to open my hands and say, God, what are you doing here? God, this does not change who you are, who you've called me to be. I want to be faithful. I want to be steadfast under trial. Godliness, which is a properly aligned life of reverence and respect for God flowing out of a proper understanding of who He is. A rightly aligned life. And the character and the character that follows. Brotherly love. A preferential love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that both honors them and reveals Christ. We see this type of love spoken of in John chapter 13 where Christ says to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then lastly, love. Our abundant, benevolent, self-denying, others preferring treatment of the entire word, of the entire world, and thought, word, and deed. These are seven characteristics, and again, we know that they don't make up the whole of what we are called to be in Christian character, but that's a pretty good slice, and it represents much of of who we are called to be. And that's great, right? How many of us read that and think, that's beautiful? Give me some of that, right? Jill, Ray, you guys, you guys uh, you, you work for Q Science now, right? You guys sell these like crazy pills and powders that put all these things back into my body that it needs. I just have to add it to water, right? Uh, Ray, you have a satchel there. Is that a satchel in front of you? Do you have any Q Science powder that you can add to I don't know, about eight ounces of water to help me to grow in those characteristics that we just talked about today? he's looking. (laughs) Pause. This is important. Because I'm telling you right now, if you did, how many of us would get in line? How many of us would get in line? As we look at our own lives and we say, wow, how I love. Okay, let's just stop at virtue, right? Excellence in what we are called to pursue. How many of us are like, oh man, I'm growing that fruit today. That is here, come right here. That's what that looks like. Probably not, right? And I need to wash my hands. Um, no. And yet, if somebody could give me a powder or a supplement that I could take right now, I'll tell you right now, I would punch each and every one of you who are in line ahead of me to get ahead of you, knowing that when I got to the front and mixed that powder in my water, I'd become more loving and it would all shake out in the end, right? Right? <laughs> I, I just need to get there and then and then it won't be a problem anymore. And I'll probably come back and like nurse your wounds and pay the innkeeper double and so give him whatever he needs, right? But we don't have that in of ourselves. And so we can read these lists and then we can turn to the other lists that are the do-nots and say, boy, I do a lot more do-nots than I do the do's that I'm supposed to do. So what does that say of me? What does that say of me? I understand uh, that struggle. I understand that struggle, especially when it comes to our assurance. Because we will have more reasons when we look at ourselves to deny who we are in Him than we will find reasons to affirm it. To assure us that we are His. Amen? And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, well, God did not give us a pill or a powder to produce these qualities. He just didn't do it. Qualities that assure us that we are His. But instead, He gives us a path. He gives us a path to pursue with our eyes on the One who not only secures the reality of this future fruit, but provides means for us by His grace to produce it in the here and now. And I'm talking about Jesus. He's our hope, not just for salvation, but in our sanctification too. And as we place our eyes on Him as our perfect Savior who guarantees a someday reality in the same way we set our eyes on Him for our present day hope as well. Because without Him we are nothing. In fact, He promises that to us. This is one of the promises of Scripture that we can hold on to. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Apart from me, you can do what? More than Rob Blair. That's a promise. And so, if we stop right here and your whole takeaway from today is, yes, I will go and produce more virtue in my life so that I can feel more assured of my salvation. Good luck with that. Check with Ray. Maybe he has a powder for you. And I expect 10% of that sale. No. If you're going to walk out of here today and be like, yeah, you're right. I did lack in love. So here we go. I'm just going to uh, pull up my socks and tighten my belt. And this week, more love coming at you. Huh. What? This is not the path to producing fruit. He gave us the path. He laid it out for us. He said, if you came to Me for your salvation, you need to continuously, day after day, moment by moment, make every effort. Stop at nothing. Nothing getting in the way of your pursuit of Me. Because as you pursue Me, you will grow that which reflects Me. That which assures you. That which comforts you. Because as you see produced in you something that dead people can't produce in themselves, you are assured of the blessed reality that you are mine. But apart from me, you can't be saved. And apart from me, you can't be sanctified. You cannot look like one you are not pursuing. And it matters how we pursue and so if our produce is halfway, half-hearted, leftover, uh, whatever, whatever I have remaining, okay. If your pursuit is not at all, okay, let's read on. If we desire to acquire the fruits of assurance, then we must pursue the path given to us by the one who produces it. That's point number three in your outline. And again, while we may all affirm the reality of what Christ is calling us to, I also understand that reality of, yeah, great, but how? Enter the Christian life, right? Because you may be here affirming, yeah, I want that fruit. And you may be in here affirming, yeah, I want that pursuit. And yet you may be sitting here with slumped shoulders, sitting in your failure that those around you can't see because you dressed up for church today. Feeling like, yeah, that's cool, preacher guy, but but How? One book that has been a huge blessing to me. John 15.5 has been a part of my life since I learned it in Awana back in like the third grade. Like I, I can't get that verse out of my head. That and Jesus wept are the only two that I have memorized. And so it's always there. Um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but it's always there. It's always there. And yet... It's always been this elusive thing to me where it's like, man, I I know I need to abide in you. I need to remain in you. And so I guess I'll crack open my Bible and read it today. Or I guess I'll pray today or, or, or something. But I just, I don't, I don't really know what it means to, to, to abide in you. I know what it means to, to, to read random things and have a quiet time and, and hope that that does something. But what does it really mean to, to abide? in the truth of who you are, the beauty of who you are, and what that means for me right now today. And a book that is really helping me understand this. Believe it or not, it's not The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. I know you all think I was going there, but you should read it. It's a great book. Um, But the book that I'm referring to is Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. And uh, this is a book that was given to me by an unbelievably solid brother who is so committed to my Christlikeness, sometimes probably even more than I am. And um, I just want to say it's free on Hoopla. If you even know what that app is, you can download it for free and listen to it or read it. Uh, but without going ad nauseum, I would just recommend, I have it in the notes there, I'd recommend it as a helpful tool of further expounding on the reality that we are called into in this verse that we read. Because the how sometimes can be fuzzy and it can be frustrating. And yet there are brothers who have gone before that have walked the path that Christ has given to us and said, here, I know this is hard. Let me, let me help you a little bit. Super devotional. I know it was written in like 1830 by someone who's far smarter than all of us, but, uh, but I promise you it, it's, it's not out of reach regardless of what age you are. If you're still tracking with me in this sermon, you can track with these two to three page chapters and really benefit from the blessing of it. But again, it's something that that supports the Word of God, right? It isn't the Word of God. Andrew Murray isn't going to change your life. A.W. Tozer isn't going to change your life. John MacArthur ain't going to change your life. And I certainly ain't going to do it either. It's going to be the power of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit actively working in us as we pursue Him. But again, sometimes we need help along the way to, make, to even know what does that pursuit look like? And He meets us in that. But when we sit back and we say, oh, what's the point? When we sit back and we say, I don't have the time. When we sit back and we say, oh, I don't, I, you know what, I'm saved. I don't really see what the point is beyond this. We reap the fruit of that. We reap the fruit of that. And today we talk about the fruit of assurance. The fruit of assurance found in a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus. And the beauty that awaits those of us who pursue that kind of life above all else. Let's not lose sight of that blessing and read verses 8 through 10 that show that that is actually the design of the faith that we've been given. It says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here we see that assurance flows from a fruitful faith that is aligned with its intended design. That's point number four in your outline. Here Peter gives one of the greatest answers to that off asked question of how do I know for sure that I'm saved? And he says, well, if you or the others around you can testify to the character of Jesus Christ growing and increasing in your life, and if you see this character resulting in some form of useful fruit-bearing work for his kingdom, then you can be assured that what is happening in and through you cannot happen apart from the one who is actively working in you. Alive or dead, you get two options. You can be spiritually alive or spiritually dead. You can't be both. And so if there is incremental growth, If you see ways in which the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is being supernaturally displayed, even if it is just a glimmer, then we rest in the hope that the one who we have placed our faith in has come and united himself to us. That we are alive in him. And that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Those are promises that we can hold to. But I don't know about you. I am a I am a horrible measuring stick of my own growth. That's why we get married, right? <laughs> Actually sometimes it works out the opposite. I'll see how I'm not growing, you know? Now, Just kidding. Olivia, you're very supportive. Very supportive. But one of the things that happens in our house, Jacob, what do we got hanging on the wall in your room? What do we do what do we do every year at your birthday? We have you line up against the wall and what do we do? We measure you, right? It's funny. We have this chart that we're, that's one of the only things in parenting that we're consistent with. Even though we don't consistently do it on their birthday, sometime in the year we go and we measure you, right? And what happens? Can, can I ask, do you feel yourself growing each and every day, Jacob? What about you, Judah? You woke up today and was like, centimeter, right? That's a, that's a unit of measurement. Did you, did you see your growth? No, you don't, right? And honestly, me and your mom, we don't see your growth either throughout the year. It's just somewhere along the way, they stop asking us to get cups for them. Or they stop asking to, to reach up and grab something. They just all of a sudden can start doing it, right? And all of a sudden, you're like talking to them like this. And you're like, what happened there? Like, I don't, I don't understand how that happened, but... But it happened in these small measures. And so one of the ways in which we chart growth that we cannot otherwise see is there's a moment where we look back on the year and we say, whoa, in 2022, you were you were 46 inches and now you're 48 inches. Now ask me in April... If that's happening, I have no idea. But show me in October where he was last October or November, (laughs) whenever we get along to it, Uh, and all of a sudden what I see is growth that should have been apparent the whole time, but was happening gradually over time. In the same way, for each of us here today, whether you have been walking with Jesus for a day, or whether you have been walking with Him for year upon year upon year. If we never look back and consider, if we do not have an observed life, one that we are looking back and remembering where we were versus where we are, then we're going to miss the lessons along the way that God taught us and it's just going to be about the trial or the failure that we presently find ourselves in, right? And that's what we're going to see defining us more and more as our enemy stands over us and be like, oh, we're here again, huh? You're the same person you always were. Nothing's changed about you. Are you kidding me? You think you're some Christian? How could you say that? Look at what you did today. He's our accuser of the brethren. That's his job. What's our job? It's to hold on to the present promises and beautiful realities that are supernaturally taking place inside of us. But if we don't set our eyes on what is true, he will be gladly there to replace it with a lie. So one of the things that I do every year, I go back through my journal, whether I've written in it ten times or a hundred times, and I just scan the pages and look at who was Matt in 2022, who was Matt Volinko in 2022 on his best day, on his worst day, on his breakthrough days, on his breakdown days. And who am I now? Where's God taking me along the way? If you're not much of a journaler, get a wife or a husband and ask them on that day whether it's at your anniversary or your birthday, honey, what has God been doing in me over the course of the last year? Because while you are not a great standard unit of measurement for your own spiritual growth, I guarantee the one who lives with you will be able to see things that you can't otherwise see. And so what I would recommend, and if you're not married, fine, that's, that's great. Find a brother or a sister who is walking with you because hopefully if you're living the Christian life, you are living it alongside of men and women who can encourage and spur you on towards Christ likeness, as we're all called to do. We all need that. And so regardless of season of life, you find yourself in, find that person who can look at you in a way that you can't and speak into what God is doing in you. On the flip side of what we see in these verses that we just read, we see, uh, we uncover an uncomfortable alternative to a flourishing faith. Let's reread those verses. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Point five on your outline here we see that a faith that does not flourish is at best, is at best. Blind and oblivious. The picture here is of one who slowly is closing his eyes to the point where he can no longer see. They're so nearsighted. They're so closing their eyes to the promises, to the realities, to the truth, to the relationship, to everything that has been given to them to live this life in godliness. They are slowly closing their eyes to the point, I can't see Hank Kasky. I know he's there. I can't see him right now. I can't, and he is wearing a lime green shirt. My eyes aren't closed. I can see my notes. I can't read what they say. But, but I have slowly closed my eyes to the point where I can't even see a man that I know in a lime green shirt. 20 feet away. Maybe more. Give or take. But the point is, that's what we do when we take our eyes off Jesus. When we do not pursue the path that is laid out for us, what we actively do is actively start Closing our eyes. Closing our hearts. Closing our minds. Closing our desires. Closing everything off to what He has been united to. We have the mind of Christ. He has invaded the space of our bodies. We are of one Spirit. All of our desires, all of this, He is now linked to us as new creations who are being made new, called to be transformed, called to be renewed. All of this that we have been invited into, we slowly, slowly begin to close our eyes to the point where we stand here wondering, am I even His? Am I? Am I I even His? Because what I don't see is fruit. And what I can't see are His promises. And what I can't feel is His presence. And what I'm not advancing in is my relational knowledge of the one who saved me. And everything that has been given to me, I'm slowly closing my eyes to it. Forgetting the power of the One who called me. Forgetting the presence of the One who now lives in me. Forgetting the promises that were given to me. Forgetting the perfection of the One He has called me to increasingly reflect. And now I've forgotten that the poison of sin and corruption that I was once called out of, that I am now once again entertaining, is the very thing that He died to free me from and now empowers me in Him to overcome. but I'm forgetting that. All the more I'm becoming blind to that reality. And to this person who professes and possesses genuine faith in Christ, but puts little to no effort in abiding in relationship with Jesus Christ, what we can expect is a life that is deemed by Christ himself as ineffective, fruitless when it comes to matters pertaining to the kingdom and to continually question just how sure-footed our standing is with our King. This passage says that at best, if that is you, you are spiritually blind and oblivious to what you have been saved into by His grace. And other passages would suggest that at worst, you may still very well be spiritually dead. But we don't have time to look at that reality. And so if you are in that place where you are questioning, am I just blind or am I dead? Have I placed my faith in Jesus but I haven't activated it and supplemented it in the way that I've called, been called to? And now I have this fruitless faith that is in the infancy stages of being a new creation rather than being renewed into the fullness of who I am called to be in Christ. Is that where I am? Or did I just throw a stick in a fire at camp and sign a card? Did I raise my head or my hand or make eye contact with the preacher when he asked if I wanted to pray a prayer and just just to get out of hell free? Am I holding on to a card that exists in Monopoly but doesn't exist in Christianity? You have to wrestle with that question yourself today. But may we who are in Christ desire neither, neither to be blind or to be dead, but instead to pursue something far greater for all that awaits us that we see in verse 11 where we read, For in this, for in this life, in light of every reason that we have been given, in this life, that we make every effort to supplement by faith. If we live in this way that we have been called to, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Greek word translated provided in verse 11 is the same root word for supplement in verse 5. I'm going to let that sink in there for a second. It's almost like Peter's trying to show us something here. That if we make every effort by His grace through our pursuit of the One who lives inside of us, not pursuing, I'm going to be more loving today, but I am going to pursue Jesus with all that I have today. By faith, I am going to position myself before Him and wait for Him to transform me into a pure reflection of Him. If that is the pursuit of our lives, to richly provide our faith with a life like that, then he will richly provide us in the same way a glorious entrance into his eternal kingdom how beautiful that is this is a reality that Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians 3:14 through 15 where he says if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so to the one who closes his eyes to the reality that he was called into, he will receive eternal life. But to the one who richly provides his faith with everything that it needs to survive, he will be richly rewarded in the life to come. Something that Jesus affirms to his disciples in Matthew nineteen twenty-seven through 29 Then Peter said in reply after the rich young ruler went away because Jesus said, oh yeah, you're great. Just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Whoop, whoop. He walks away with his head hung low. And this is Peter's response. He said, uh, Jesus, see, we have left everything to follow you. What then will we have? Pretty bold. Here we are, just talking about uh, the the danger of riches in this life, right? Here we are talking about the dangers of pursuing the things of this life. And hey, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. That's what you should do. Peter's response to that, which Peter we know sometimes not always picking up what Jesus is laying down, he says, uh, uh, "Jesus, what are we going to get? Hey, we did that. We we left everything that we have to follow you. So so what do we get? And Jesus says, "Get behind me, Satan." What's wrong with you thinking about rewards? No, not at all. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, you being the twelve, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on a glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then to everyone, He says, and everyone who has left Houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We have this let's just get in mentality. Jesus says, you get in, but if you run after me with everything that you have, then there awaits something that the one who doesn't will not have. And that is a hundredfold of everything that you gave to me. And so what do we have to lose in light of everything that is to be gained in Him on that day when it will be richly provided for us entry into His kingdom to the one who supplements His faith with a relational pursuit of Jesus that leads to the abiding, assuring, fruitful character of Jesus on full display in us, leading to a fruitful life that is effective for the kingdom, one that is assured that we are sure-footed with Him, what have we got to lose? In light of all that is to be gained, if you are here and you do not have a saving relationship with Jesus, then I want to invite you to that today. If you're afraid that you may at best be blind or at worst be spiritually dead and therefore standing in line to receive the wages of your sin, which is death, it is eternal separation from Jesus Christ forever in a place called hell where you will receive the reward for the life you lived. If you do not want to be in that place any longer and you realize that you are a sinner and you need a savior and you need that saving relationship, that fruit bearing abiding relationship with him, if that's you, I want to invite you. Come talk to me and if you're tired of listening to my voice, I get it. But there will be other people up here after the service who want to talk to you, who want to help you take that next step towards Jesus. And if you are my brother and sister, whether you are blind, nearsighted, farsighted, or full-on running after Jesus, I encourage you, by the preaching of the Word, run after Him. Make every effort to provide your faith with everything that it needs to flourish. Because the reward is not only the assurance that you are His, but so much more. And so let's run after it by running after Him. Amen? Jesus, thank You so much for Your Word. May it pierce our hearts. Holy Spirit, may this not just be a 50-minute talk that falls on deaf ears and goes by the wayside, but may this be a day, an Ebenezer, a stake in the ground for each of us who are either taking a step towards You for the first time or are running after You for the hundredth time. Father, would You... By your Spirit, teach us what it means to abide. Teach us what it means to pursue. Teach teach us what it means to lay aside everything in this life that will burn away for the sake of that which will remain forever. Be our greatest treasure. Be our greatest pursuit. Be our king in this life and the life to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.